audio conversation with Rob and Trish McGregor, recorded July 27th, 2011. Uh, Both Rob and Trish are authors. They're a married couple who write books together, and uh, they also run a website called Synchro Secrets. All of these things will be linked on the show notes. Now, here, here's the last three books they put out. Uh, one of them, which is on my desk right now in my hand, is titled The Seven Secrets of Synchronicity. And the subtitle is Your Guide to Finding Meaning in Coincidence Big and Small. Uh, this was followed up by another book, The Synchronistic Journal, and this is just a journal format to record your synchronicities. And then the book that is just out just now that I was supposed to have before the interview was recorded. I never quite got it. The mail didn't cooperate. Uh, but the title of this book is Synchronicity and the Other Side, Your Guide to Meaningful Connections with the Afterlife. And it's a collection of stories about uh, what would be afterlife communication between people and their loved ones. And they share a few stories which are fascinating. Now, I have uh, been pestering both Rob and Trish over the last many months to get them to do this interview, and, and they uh, said yes, their schedule is busy, and it was a joy to finally get a chance to talk to them. I will be linking another interview that they did with Anne Streber from the Unknown Country website, uh, Whitley Streber's wife, where Anne and Trish talk about the Seven Secrets book. And if you're a subscriber to Unknown Country, you can listen to a follow-up interview. So um, so you can get a lot of information from that, which I thought was a great interview. And obviously, synchronicity is something that I feel is very relevant to the whole crazy mystery that I'm trying to explore on this blog. And I will also add, uh, without too much prompting from me, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about UFOs, which I thought was really interesting. And I will say it in no uncertain terms, there is an overlapping, there is a collision, there is an intertwining of the UFO phenomena and the synchronicity phenomena. I don't understand why they are so tapped into each other, but they are, and it is fascinating. We don't shy away from trying to unravel that, and the interview's about an hour and 40 minutes long, and it's great. I was, I'm was i super happy with the content. Please enjoy. I'm here with Trish and Rob McGregor, and Trish, Rob, I just want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you. Good, good. Glad and, to be here. And uh, you have two, actually three books out on synchronicity, as well as a, a website that uh, catalogs synchronicity in a daily blog format. And um, uh, synchronicity is something that I will say that I am feel like I am very familiar with, my own set of life experiences. This is a, one question you probably get asked all the time and probably right at the beginning of any interview like this. How would you define a synchronicity? Okay, synchronicity really is... Uh... Two related, when two related events come together in a way that uh, can't be explained by cause and effect, and it's meaningful to the observer. In other words, it's uh, mean, meaningful coincidence. And um, can be more than two events. Yeah. Uh, so, say, let's say I call you, you answer the phone. That's cause and effect. But I think about someone I haven't talked to for a long time. That person calls. That's meaningful. That's synchronicity. And and that example is something I think that everyone can probably recognize. I think everyone has had that experience of like thinking of someone and then the phone rings and, and it's, it is that person. And with today's um, media stuff, 
instead of a phone, for instance, it could be like a Facebook friend. You know, you get a request for your roommate who you've been thinking about but haven't seen in 25 years, that kind of thing. And and I will also add that um, from my own direct experience, um, Facebook is, I've had some very weird and profound experiences on Facebook uh, <clears throat> that, that I would have no way to explain. And then the internet is, is a different animal than, than we've ever experienced as humanity on this planet in the sense that it's a, obviously it's an electronic medium, it's a tool. There is, seems to be like this sort of, I don't know, like this cloud intelligence, this sort of uh, this almost sentience that's, that seems to be occurring within it, um, seeing that, I mean, just with so much wireless and so many people uh, interacting constantly and the entire, you know, web being, mm-hmm. you know, literally surrounding the world now, uh, it, it seems to have generated its own set of power in a way, uh, I don't want to get too mystical here, but, but I definitely have had some experiences that just make my, you know, make me shake yeah. my head. A lot of people have had experiences on Blogger with these word verifications that yeah. they have to enter. Uh, they're writing something, and the word verification that comes up has something directly related to what they wrote. And uh, when we're on Blogger with our uh, synchronicity blog, we would hear that all the time, and we'd we'd find the same thing is true. That is so funny because I have a couple examples of that. There's a um, a fellow named um, Jim McDonald. Oops, uh, this is Mike chiming in during the editing process. The fellow's correct name is Michael McDonald. There you go. Back to the interview. And he was doing a documentary. He's a Canadian documentary filmmaker. He was doing a documentary on Forey Ackerman, who was this kind of character in Hollywood who collected like monster movie props and had a museum of monster movie props, you know, like the funny rubber masks and things like that. And uh, they visited his grave. He died uh, within the last decade or so. And when they got back to the hotel room there in Hollywood, they... uh, went to check on something and then had to use a uh, word verification to, to tap into something. <laughs> and uh, the word verification was Ackerman 00. Wow. Huh. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that's, I have a few stories like that myself, but I thought that one was pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah that's a, that's a rule. That's a goodie. <laughs> that, yeah. That's a keeper. <laughs> so another uh, more literary uh, definition of synchronicity would be it's like a jolt of energy uh, coming from a source outside of our everyday world of cause and effect and uh, that source can also come from the other side uh, from life after death and that's the that's the subject of our second book synchronicity and the other side that's that's fascinating because I've had my own set of experiences with uh, a with friend Mac Tony, right? with Mac Tony's yeah, uh-huh. yeah. and um and I've spoken a little bit about that here, and uh, and and I think you actually posted one of those experiences. Though. Right, I think we did on yeah. the blog. I think we we wanted to use it in the book, but by then we had already finished the book, <laughs> and it had been turned in. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, and here I'll just retell it now for folks who haven't heard it. Um, I was uh, so Mac Tony's was someone I never met in person. We spoke on the phone pretty often, and I felt a real close kinship with him. He was a young a paranormal researcher focusing on the UFO phenomena, and he had written a couple books and was in the process of writing his final book uh, in 2009 when he died at a very young age. He died at 34 of of heart failure, uh, a very surprising thing for everyone who knew him. And uh, he did have some pre-existing conditions that sent him to a doctor and all, but uh, uh, 
so before he died, uh, him and I had talked about doing that, that I w wanted to do illustrations for his book. And I was pretty adamant. It's like, oh boy, you need some illustrations, just some chapter headers to liven things up. And he was all for it. And um, we didn't talk much about it. One of the things we did talk was about was our love of uh, this illustrator named R. Crumb. And in essence, so afterwards I did do the illustrations in that style. So after after he died in October of 2009, um, I got a hold of the publisher and explained um, that I had talked with Mac and, and the publisher had heard about it because Mac had discussed it with the publisher. So, uh, uh, you know, I basically was set to go for the job and, and the, the publisher sent me a manuscript. Now the manuscript was punched for a three-ring binder and I had it in a three-ring binder and it was a little bit intimidating, I have to say, to have it in my house, the manuscript. I, I wanted to start reading it and, and I was a little bit intimidated. So um, I realized there was a day that I had to go through the process of reading it and and I um, went through a, kind of a formalized process. And I will say, like, I, I actually went through sort of a ritual, which which I think, from my direct experience with synchronicities, seems to have a little bit to do with it. Um, so when I say ritual, it wasn't much more than, I mean, the house was silent, I made a cup of tea, I set the, uh, the manuscript on the coffee table, and I was sitting on the couch facing it. I had my reading glasses, I put my reading glasses on, I opened to the first page, and the title of the book was The Crypto Terrestrials, and it said by Mac Tonys. And as I read that, the CD player next to me made this loud noise and went clunk, and the cassette popped out. And it's one of those uh, CD players where you where you fill a cassette <clears throat> with a series of CDs, and then um, so that that was extremely unusual. And I went through and I tried to figure out if any of the CDs would have had any relevance. Um, they didn't, uh, not that I could figure out. But um, and I, in a way, I found that as a very clear form of communication. And I'll also add that both Mac and I had written uh, essays about um, the UFO phenomena. And, in, and we used as a metaphor, uh, you know how you play with your cat with a laser pointer? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, the cat gets all riled up. So the cat is actually looking at the dot, as opposed to you know the person controlling the laser pointer, which I which I find is very uh, sort of uh, uh, you know good rethinking of the UFO phenomena. You know we're looking at the little things in the sky where right. something else is going on that's controlling those little things in the sky, and um, and so Mac had written an essay about a laser beam, and I had written an essay about a string where I basically wrote the same essay before we ever met each other, before we ever knew about each other, we both wrote in essence, the same essay. And, oh. and well, that would, that right there would fit into the, um, one of the secrets in the seven secrets of synchronicity, because it's a creative act. And two people who don't know each other are writing about basically the same thing. And, and it was very interesting because we, we try, we almost worked it out to the same day. It was definitely in November oh. of 2000 and, Huh. I think it was November of 2006 that we both wrote the mm -hmm. same essay. And and the odd thing was, so the CD player was the thing that made the clunk, and the CD player runs off a laser beam. So that was like the closest laser wow. beam to where I was sitting. Hmm, That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. That's definite communication. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, in, the, um, in the synchronicity on the other side, we've got some wonderful stories. And in writing this book... I think we even stumbled upon some, some archetypes related to spirit communication that neither one of us were aware of before, like the whole thing with a white feather. A lot of people, like this started with a couple years back, I read a story on Mike Perry's blog. Uh, he also does a blog on synchronicity. He lives in Cornwall. And after his daughter died, 
he and his wife, actually the day of her funeral, they were coming back and found a white feather on the ground in front of them. And periodically after that, like if they visit her grave, if they're thinking about her, there's always a white feather. And it turns out that's pretty common. I don't know why a white feather, but it seems to be an archetype of some sort for spirit communication. Oh, that's interesting. And I'm just amazed at the patterns that show up, you know, uh, like like that. And I'm wondering whether a white feather would show up, you know, to somebody in, you know, who lost a family member, like a, you know, primitive tribesman in Borneo or something like that would also Maybe. have a white feather too. Is this universal? Well, Mike, Mike also said that he knows that if he sees a black feather, you know, now, now we're talking about a feather that's just laying there, but there's no bird around, okay? And he says when he finds a black feather, he realizes it's a warning of some sort. Whereas the white feather has happened to him on, with three different deaths, his daughter, his mother, and his closest friend. So he always felt that that was the spirit communication, whereas the black feather might be a warning of some sort. There's also uh, synchronicities that we found related to UFOs. In fact, when we first met, uh, we had just barely met... Uh, we had a very dramatic series of experiences related, uh, synchronicities related to UFOs. Um, in fact, uh, what it was, I had suggested, when we'd probably known each other for maybe a month or so, and I suggested, why don't we try a Ouija board? I had never used a Ouija board in my life. And so we went out and bought one. And so what uh, we're playing around with it, and it starts to work, and we're getting messages, and supposedly we're getting a message from somebody in a UFO. Well, uh, I was a newspaper reporter, pretty skeptical about stuff like that, and so I, uh, right away I wanted proof. Where's if you, if you're from a UFO, why don't you why don't you make an appearance? Show us that uh, show us you're there. And so the answer was okay. Go out. To the airport. Uh, we were living in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, actually, I was living in a town of Hollywood, uh, Florida, which was about 10 miles away. Trish was living in Fort Lauderdale. and uh, But we were uh, at Trish's townhouse and said, go, said, go to the airport 1 o'clock in the morning. And so I felt kind of stupid. We both felt kind of stupid about doing this, listening to a Ouija board and going out to the airport. But we did it. You know, we were just uh, just getting to know each other, and it was just kind of a lark. So we went out, and at that time, the Fort Lauderdale airport was a little smaller than it is now. And uh, so we, we were able to park outside the fence uh, on the street and just kind of watch the sky and, uh, you know, there were still some planes coming in now and then. And we sat there for 45 minutes, an hour, hour and 15 minutes, getting after 2 o'clock. I had to work in the morning, and I think Trish did too. And so we thought, well, this is kind of stupid. Let's go home and uh, headed in our different directions. And um, the next morning, I had to get... Uh, I got an assignment right away to go down to the school board at 8.30, and I had to call in a story by 10 o'clock. It was a deadline story, and I, you know, bags under my eyes, pretty tired. And uh, so I called, called the story in, and then the editor said, okay, come on in and write up a longer version for the, the second edition of the paper. So I had to go in, and I was working on deadline, typing up the story. The reporter in the uh, cubicle next to me was also on deadline. At some point, I uh, I just finished, and I kind of leaned over and asked, 
what are you working on? And she said, a UFO story. There was a UFO sighted last night above Perry Airport. Perry Airport is in Hollywood. We were at the wrong airport. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I have to sense that, that uh, whatever forces are going, be, going on behind the curtain, whether it was actually communication from an a alien pilot of a UFO or not, uh, that playfulness... Right uh, is something that's that's part of the whole phenomenon. The trickster element. The trickster, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so uh, that story appeared on the front page of the Hollywood Sun Tatler. Uh, then uh, that uh, it was an evening paper that evening. And so the next uh, the, uh, Trish and I decided, well, we'll try to catch up. We'll go right down to Perry Airport t- <laughs> tonight. So we went down to Perry Airport. Completely dark, nothing going on at, uh, I think around midnight we were down there. It's a private airport, it's a, you know, a, a private small airport. planes. Yeah, right. And so, we again, we sat around for about an hour, and then uh, we both had our cars and uh, started to, uh, decided we, we would leave. So, started driving away, I turned on the radio, and oddly enough, this radio show comes on like an old-time drama uh, radio drama, which I, uh, I, I, I can't remember ever hearing something like this. You know, this is something back like from the 30s and 40s uh, when before television. And I'm listening, and one of the characters is an alien from outer space. <laughs> and I stop at the stop sign and signaling Trish, turn on your radio. <laughs> another synchronicity, another trickster element. Now, at that point in this, when would this have been? You know, what year approximately? This is like 1981. Yes. Now, were you aware of the the synchronicity phenomena at that? Had you given it a name or? Well, actually, one of the first things Trish asked me when we met is, "Have you ever heard of the? Uh, have you ever heard of synchronicity?" Yeah, I've been aware of it since I was in my teens when I first started using the I Ching, mm-hmm. and also when I first got into astrology because astrology is really about synchronicity. And, uh, you know, I had heard, uh, heard of it, and I wasn't uh, greatly familiar with it, but uh, I, I knew the term. But uh, we were soon to find out uh, a lot more about it. <laughs> yeah, I get the sense that once you start looking into this, the, the phenomena starts looking back. That's, Absolutely. That's the first secret. The seven secrets of synchronicity, that's secret number one. <laughs> once you start getting into it, looking at it, they start... Uh, you see them everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, now, so I'm looking at your book here, and the third secret states that synchronicity is the granddaddy of all paranormal phenomena, precognition, clairvoyance, and remote viewing. And and that is a pretty bold statement. And and why do you why do you go to that extreme to make some to make a statement uh, a claim that that that's that profound? Well, actually, Jung made that statement. And he was the one who coined this, the phrase synchronicity. Not everybody goes along with that idea, but uh, but uh, we like the idea of synchronicity being like an umbrella of all other uh, paranormal phenomena. It's uh, it, uh, just it's, well, it's not it's, just our invention. I mean, Jung did say that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jung was Carl Jung was the one who basically put synchronicity on the map. He and Wolfgang Pauli. And if you read his uh, autobiography, Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, and also if you read some other books about Jung, uh, particularly the biography by Deirdre Bear, that's one of the things they go into. 
And he studied synchronicity for like uh, 20, 25 years before he wrote about it. Uh, in, uh, it was the introduction to the I Ching. Right, yeah. And then he eventually wrote a short uh, book uh, called Synchronicity. You know, it's interesting. I interviewed a, a uh, paranormal researcher. He's a young guy named Micah Hanks. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Mm-mm. No. Yeah, he wrote a book called uh, uh, Magic, the Mushroom and the Molecule, just talking about uh, you know altered states of consciousness and things like that. And um, and he also does a lot of UFO research and Bigfoot research, and, and he's a good writer. And I interviewed him, and I asked him, so have you had any of your own personal experiences? And he said, nope, nope, never had anything paranormal happen to me ever. Nope. Really? <laughs> and then I said, well, have you had any synchronicities? And he went, oh, all the time. I have the most incredible synchronicities <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you can't separate those two. That's a paranormal experience. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's it absolutely is. right. What's his name again? Micah Hanks, M-I-C-A-H, Hanks. Oh my God! And he runs a website called the Graalian Report, and he's super prolific. And and uh, but I thought that was so interesting that someone that was uh, you know claimed to be immersed in the phenomena in the sense that they were out out you know hunting Bigfoot and and interviewing UFO abductees and things like that that they would um, be so oblivious to the synchronistic to synchronicities yeah, as a phenomena to just to say like, oh, you know, like I've never had a paranormal experience. And then at the same time, as soon as I brought up synchronicity, which was in the next breath, he got all excited and he's like, oh yeah, incredible ones. <laughs> well, what I find interesting is that somebody who's an adult can actually claim to have never experienced any form of telepathy with another human being. Well, actually, I'll, so he does have a little bit of that going on. So with like, uh, as I, as I dug a little deeper, he, he uh, he's, has had some, some odd, uh, Oh, how would you say it? Psychic flashes, let me put it that uh, way. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I just don't see how you could be a paranormal researcher and not have any experiences at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and the thing that's interesting about the synchronicity, like you could be a ghost researcher, for instance, and go to an old house and, and, uh, and stay up late at night and see an apparition that appears on the stairway, and the apparition, in essence, is localized. It's this thing on the stairway. It's this, you know... Uh, you can sort of quantify it, and and uh, uh, but the synchronicity, in a way, it seems to have its its origins in, in and I and I don't think that we as as three dimensional humans are really even capable of of trying to define this, but something is going on behind the curtain in a grand way that is interacting with us. And, right. and that makes it that makes it different in a way than than you know hearing a, a bump in a in a in a spooky old house. Right. Exactly. I think one of the what I find interesting is that since Jung first coined this term, quantum physics has has just keeps exploding. You know, and the, the information packets keep coming in. There, there's just more and more information about what take about how quantum physics works and what what the fabric is of reality. And to me, synchronicity is like, it's, it's almost like the border between our everyday world and the world that we don't see, the quantum world, the quantum level where everything is connected. You know, have you ever read a book, um, there's a series of books called Conversations with God, and the author is Neil Donald Walsh? Yeah, I read the first one. Yeah, and I thought those books were really good, and somewhere in there, I don't know whether it was a first, second, or third book, and I think it was in the context of, like, wordplay, where the voice of the God character, this is a channeled book, the voice of the God character, was uh, 
taking like normal everyday words and kind of carefully rearranging them and then they would have an even more profound meaning and you know neil donald walsh the author you know, <clears throat> asked you know like how do you do that how do you come up with that that's so wonderful <laughs> and then the god voice said you know this is the way the universe likes to arrange itself Oh, interesting. Hmm. And hmm. I thought that was as nice a way of looking at these profound, meaningful coincidences as uh -huh. anything. I just think that's the way the, you know, the universe has a, you know, like how to say it, you know, you put sugar in hot water and you put a string in it and it magically crystallizes. Well, it's not magic. It's just the way the sugar molecules like to crystallize. Right. That's how they yeah. want to crystallize. And maybe that's just how the universe likes to be. It's just how it wants to be. It's, it's, uh, it, it likes to perform these little synchronicities. Even though that term synchronicity just came into existence about 50 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, uh, by Carl Jung, the, the idea, the concept goes uh, way back. Uh, in fact, in Hindu mythology from more than 2,000 years ago, there's a concept of Indra's net, which is this underlying reality that exists below our everyday world of cause and effect, where one tug on the net affects something else uh, somewhere else in the world and where th so things happen that are not uh, related to cause and effect but from this deeper level of reality. It's like the old saying about you know if there's, how's it work, if, if you pluck a leaf in one part of the world there's a tornado on the other. I don't think that's quite the analogy. But I think it was a butterfly. Yeah, but that's what it was, yeah. butterfly, the butterfly. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. yeah. So I think synchronicities like that. Yeah, and and now I just this is my this is my own set of things. So I've been I've been meditating over the synchronicity thing. Now this is here. I'll just give you my def definition of a of a synchronicity. It's it's important. It's meaningful, and it's potentially transformative. Mm -hmm. um, and that's for me. And I'll, and and I will also probably add that it's they, they're very very personal. You know, you don't get synch you know the synchronicities that I've experienced just feel so deeply personal to me. Although. What's interesting is that there are also global synchronicities. One of the things that we cover in Seven Secrets, I mean, for instance, one night, uh, what was the one? We were, we were in North Carolina, we were listening to the news, and Arlen Specter, something had just happened with the politician Arlen Specter. Okay, what does Specter mean? It means a ghost. And what was the synchronicity, remember? And the, the bird tapped at the window. Right, the bird flew into the window oh, at that moment. And died, yeah, didn't it? Well, I can't remember if it died or not. Anyway, Spectre being ghost, and at the moment we were listening to this news story, uh, this bird flew into the window and died. And then I think Spectre, something happened with him. He changed political parties right, or yeah, something. He, That's he, what it was. That was. He changed from a Republican to a Democrat. Yeah. So there was like, for him, the death of one political party where he joined up with another political party. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about synchronicity is that people always ask us is, what does it mean? I have these things. What does it mean? So it can be a fo uh, synchronicity can be a form of guidance, but it also can be a warning. Uh, it can be, uh, tell. it can, you have to interpret it. It can be mean that you're on the right track when uh, synchronicity occurs, but it also can be a warning that you might uh, you might be on the wrong track if you continue ahead. So it's a, it can be an affirmation, uh, a creative inspiration. Uh, so there's different ways of of interpret of interpreting. But the the first step, of course, is 
to recognize it as meaningful rather than just some uh, some coincidence that some happens random and, thing. Uh, forget about it. One of our neighbors just read our book and she said, "Oh, they, I've had these coincidences happen. I always just uh, they always just pass by." Uh, I mean, I never think about them, and now since I've read your book, uh, they seem to happen a lot more. And now I ha now I have a b much better understanding of them, and um, they they serve as guidance for me. Yeah, and and the way I've tried to look at this, and and I've I've sort of had to simplify it because some of the, you know, it's like uh, you know, like the the synchronicities are so bizarre that it's hard to actually know what they might mean but the the only thing i can come up with that that seems like a good universal catch-all uh, way to explain them or the meaning of them is just simply to pay attention right exactly right. yeah but you know it's also if if you can get to the point where you can decipher them and decode them that's when you they really start blowing your mind and and that's what I've tr that I try to decipher them and I try to decode them and and potentially I'm so you know I'm so hyper skeptical of my own set of experiences and I'm so I don't want to say nervous or wishy washy <laughs> to to take that big leap you know that I will in essence decode them and then I still sort of come away with just you know pay attention right well, you know I, I I thought of another global synchronicity that was kind of it was simple um, when. After Tim Russert died, the guy who used to do Meet the Press, um, at his memorial service, somebody sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And everybody came out of the church, and what's in the sky but a double rainbow? So there, there's something that's so, you know, it's like, it's shocking. It's so simple. And as far as global, I mean, I just think the events of 9-11... Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, there, it just seems like, you know, full books have been written on the strange coincidences that have, have occurred there. And, and obviously there are, you know, folks who are looking into the parapolitical aspect of, of that event. And, and that's, the paranormal aspect is what's really interesting. Yeah, a lot of people had dreams uh, that uh, about uh, the, uh, the crash and the, the destruction of the, the towers in the, in the days and the hours before it happened. Uh, some of them were symbolic; others were very, very close to it. And, and but then you mentioned the the uh, uh, conspiracy element. Uh, some of these conspiracies sound pretty valid, but they they sound so far out too. And I think that's a trickster element that's that's mm -hmm. involved with this uh, global synchronicity. Well, like with the people certain that there is no airplane that hit the Pentagon but a rocket because they looked at this film and it looks like a missile coming in and not an airplane. What happened to the airplane wings? But yet, if that's true, what happened to the airplane itself and all the people? The people? <laughs> <laughs> if this, it's, yeah, that's a dark, dark rabbit hole once you start going down, down the 9-11 yes. thing. Yeah. Here's a question for both of you. Have either of you ever had a direct UFO sighting? Yeah, I have. Uh, I have seen lights in the sky that I couldn't uh, define and couldn't recognize as being airplanes. I remember one dramatic one when I was uh, nine or ten years old. Uh, I, I wanted to be outside after dark with no, uh, and I didn't want to go in. And I was standing in the intersection. Uh, we lived in a dead end street, and I was standing in the intersection before the. 
uh, dead end, and I was uh, looking up, and I start seeing these lights, and they were blue, and they're green, and they're red, and they're moving in crazy patterns above the sky, uh, above me, and the sky and then uh, I went in and told my parents about it and they the next day it was on the news that a lot of people had spotted these unusual lights in the sky so uh, I, uh, that to me was a verification that it wasn't just happening to me that other people had also seen the same thing but it wasn't anything that I remember as uh, any you know missing time related to it or anything uh, directly personal other than just observation Okay, this is interesting. And Trish, you said you had seen one? Yeah, mine Mine happened when I was in boarding school. Um, I lived in Venezuela until I was 17 and went to boarding school in Massachusetts for 10th and 11th grade. And in those days, the boarding school had very strict rules. You had to be in bed by 10 o'clock and blah, 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 that kind of thing. So we'd always sneak down to this other girl's room after 10 o'clock because she had food. So one night there were probably eight of us sitting around the floor People were smoking cigarettes and eating and drinking and just doing whatever girls do then. And all of a sudden, I, I saw this light outside Holly's window. I thought, well, that's weird. I mean, the school wasn't near any airport or anything. And as I sat there watching the light, it started doing very strange things, going up really fast, sideways, you know, making maneuvers that a plane couldn't do. So I called another girl's attention to it. She says, wow, wow, Trish, that's a UFO. That's it. We're seeing a UFO. And, of course, we got all excited. And as soon as everybody's attention in the room was drawn to the object, it shot off. That was the first time. The second time was in college during the um, blackout on the East Coast, which was in, I think, 1967 67 or 68. And I was in my room trying frankly, looking for a flashlight or a candle or something because the entire dorm was dark. And all of a sudden, outside my window, I saw just a whole series of rapidly moving lights that weren't moving. I mean, they were definitely too close to the ground, you know, too, maybe, maybe 100 feet up, but moving in ways that, that airplanes don't move. And other people saw them. So I don't know what that was about. And I will also add that the, just as a, someone who's been studying the UFO phenomena for a while now, this 1967 blackout event uh, is full of yes. UFO stories. Yeah. And, I, to the I, point I, where I, some I, people I, actually blame the UFOs on the, on, the, right. on the actual blackout. Exactly. And the other time we, we, hoped, we had hoped to have a UFO experience was we spent a weekend with Betty Hill. Um, we used to, when we were freelance writers, we used to write for Omni magazine and we did their UFO section. And so we, they, it was a lot of fun. They used to send us to these different UFO conferences. And at one of them, Betty Hill was the main speaker. So Rob and I got to spend basically the weekend with Betty Hill. That was pretty fascinating, even though we didn't see any UFOs. And also with Bud Hopkins. Yeah. Uh, he, was, he, did a, he was at uh, one of the conferences, and he did a radio show in Maya, uh, with a Miami station. And one particular case of a woman who called in, he uh, it sounded dramatic and very... Uh, something he really felt there was something to it, and he wanted to go uh, visit her, but he didn't have. A, he hadn't rented a car. He had just taken a taxi uh, to the conference from the airport, and uh, I happened to overhear this. So uh, we, we, uh, Trish and I said, "Well, we'll uh, we'll, we'll take you up there." Uh, it was about forty miles away in Lake Worth, uh, actually pretty close to where we live now, and uh, so we drove Bud up there. 
and uh, met this couple and their child. And the, uh, the woman had uh, some very unusual experiences where she was actually uh, lifted out of bed, carried down the hallway and right through the walls of her house and then uh, into this craft which was up above the house and but to get to the craft it was like uh, a light elevator she was with these two or three I think there were three beings small beings uh, grays uh, and they were rose up slowly into the air and as they rose up uh, this was right at Christmas time. She looked out, and there was this huge Christmas tree that she could see below. And actually, this Christmas tree uh, was put up by the National Enquirer that used to be in... Like 100 feet tall. Yeah, oh, they yes. used to, yeah that's because the National Enquirer was based in Florida, and they would do that in every La year. In Lantana. And they, they always had this big Christmas display with a huge tree, and they had all kinds of... Uh, ornaments and things and, and rides, things that people uh, could bring their kids. Anyhow, she was riding up, and so she she said, I saw the uh, National Enquirer Christmas tree from above, and she said, I pointed it out to them, and I, I, uh, I remember asking her, what, what was their reaction? And she said, they weren't impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether it was with the tree or the National Enquirer. <laughs> Well, that's so interesting because the National Enquirer actually has a reputation right. uh, now in hindsight of of doing what amounted to quite accurate UFO reporting. They, they had did. absolutely completely sensationalistic headlines, but the actual content of the, the data that they were imparting was actually uh, uh, quite accurate. Uh, and I yeah, remember I'm that... Yeah, sorry to see that paper fold. I mean... But in the later years, they, they, they got away from that. They went more into the celebrity. But there, uh, there was a period there where they did a lot of UFO mm -hmm. uh, reports. Nobody else was doing it. And, and Leo Sprinkle, who was a, you know, sort of an elder statesman of the UFO research uh, pool, it's very easy to give him a great amount of grief because he was uh, doing some work with the National Enquirer, what would be their, I guess, their UFO desk in a way. And, um, you know, when confronted about that, like, well, you know, why would you, a respected, uh, if someone from academia, why would you, you know, go stoop so low as to go to the National Enquirer? And he, his answer, which is interesting, was he said basically, well, they're the only ones looking into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's true. Oh, that's so interesting. So, yeah, so there's a collision of, of Bud Hopkins, the National Enquirer, of the 1967 blackout. Um, Betty Hill. Betty Hill, yeah. <laughs> and there, the, now, then there was another aspect of this. Yeah, this, this story uh, gets stranger. Yeah, this story gets stranger. And this is something that sometimes comes into play with uh, UFO stories as well in these abductions. Uh, one of the things we noticed right away was the, the, the woman's husband was an unusual man. He was a big man wore black clothes, gray, thick gray hair, uh, strong jaw. Very overbearing. Very overbearing. And he had a gold medallion around his neck, and it was, it, was, uh, it, it was a gold devil head. And so I started talking to him on the side while Bud was getting ready to uh, do the, <clears throat> his hypnotic regression, and I found out that he was a former Baptist minister, and he said he switched sides. And so there's this whole demonic uh, aspect to this whole thing that uh, was going uh, going on that we felt that he was uh, somehow 
affecting her in some way, controlling her, something that it had, and that element came into play. Bud Hopkins saw none of this. He was, uh, he went outside and was looking up at, up above in the backyard and said, yeah, there's, there's room enough for a UFO to come up above. And I'm thinking, this has something to do with the husband as well. You know, it's, it's hard to explain, but it, uh, there's, it's a multidimensional phenomenon. Well, afterwards, we invited them to our house and also invited over a couple oh, of yeah. psychics that we knew because we wanted their take to just see if, what they picked up on the sky. And that night, we had a man in black experience. Oh, right. wow. Keep going. This is yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. We, we, were, we had, it was about six people, and we were uh, uh, in our living room, and we had slight, uh, we, in this uh, townhouse. Uh, now Trish and I were married, and we were living in Trish's townhouse in Fort Lauderdale, and that sliding glass doors going out to a parking lot where we parked. Um, it was about one o'clock, and we had been uh, uh, talking for oh, probably three hours, and a really good conversation. And uh, the man, the husband, he had been—he had not moved in three hours. He had said very little. He had just sat there, again dressed in black, with his uh, <laughs> devil medallion around his neck, and uh, it was like he was afraid to move or something, and he was. Uh, very suspicious that there were so many psychics in the room, and uh, I happened to the the uh, the curtains on the the blinds on the uh, vertical blinds on the the uh, sliding glass door were slightly open, and I noticed some movement uh, on the, our porch right. And outside. one of our cats reacted. And, yeah, too. the cat was looking over there, and so I walked over there and. There's a man who was looking into our window, and as soon as he saw me, he l leaps over the the little fence, and he uh, uh, darts away. And but the way he moves, uh, he ducked down and ran from car to car. If he would have just walked away normally, I wouldn't have thought much about it. But he was looking very suspicious, very guilty. And he was dressed in black. Uh, dressed in black, and he, but crouched down, looking over his shoulder at me, running to the next car, looking <laughs> very dramatic. And so uh, by this time, Trish had called the police, <laughs> and usually uh, uh, the, the reaction for something like that is pretty slow. Within two minutes, there were seven or eight police cars. With police dogs. and uh, Roaring into... Our, it's a place called the Tennis Club in Fort Lauderdale, a gated community. They were coming in there, searching all around. Uh, they came up and interviewed us, and uh, I was wondering, what was going on? And it turned out, within a mile, there had uh, been a murder, and the, the man was on the loose, and the, the, they thought this might be the lead to the murder. Well, they never found the guy, and so that remained a mystery, but it was... For us, it was, uh, we had been talking about Men in Black, and there's a Men in Black on our porch. <laughs> now, this is fascinating. This is so interesting. I did not expect this to go down this avenue. So what did the psychics think about the fellow with the uh, the devil amulet? Well, both of those psychics, one of them is dead, we know, Renee Wiley. Um, and the other one, we're not sure if he's dead or not, but, but we had known both of them for quite a while. In fact, Rob co-wrote a book with Tony, and they were both empaths very strong empaths, and neither one of them liked this guy. No. In fact, Renee said she felt sick most of the night. And uh, Tony, I can't remember what his 
I just remember he didn't like the guy. I thought there was something really weird about I him. I think Charge and Angel were there yeah, as well. That's yeah, that's right. Right, uh, uh, another uh, psychic. This man had been a Colorado police officer, and he had used his psychic abilities in his police work, and uh, then he'd left that uh, and moved to Florida. Uh, but uh, he was an interesting character, but... Uh, and uh, his his wife was as well, and uh, I remember they were very suspicious about this guy. And uh, and he sensed it. I mean, this this devil guy. He he sensed that that they were reading him. I mean, he knew it. Oh, this is so interesting. Now, now, just as far as I've been immersed in this, and I've been doing my own research, not really formally. Well, I guess formally, but you know, uh, as I get deeper and deeper into this. Um, one of the things that shows up, which I did not expect, uh, is there's something, uh, something to do with the occult, seems to, to play a part in this. Uh, and then I could very much see Bud Hopkins, who I've met and who has, who has uh, tried to hypnotize me. Um, mm-hmm. not, I, I, he thought it went pretty well, and I, I thought it didn't, we didn't gain much information. But I could very much see him ignoring that, uh, you know, that aspect of it. Right. He seemed to think it uh, is more of a, just a, like visitors from another planet, you know, not, not an interdimensional phenomena, uh, a nuts and bolts phenomena more than a mystical phenomena. Yeah, he's, he's an interesting guy, and I, and, and I give him a huge amount of credit for doing what he did, which was starting the abduction research in, in such a bold way. Right. And, and he was he has he's a very charismatic, very sweet guy, and I know a lot of people who have worked with him and all of them praise him. He cares very deeply about the individuals that he's working with. There's nothing exploitative about him. No, no nothing at all. He's yes. just a really nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, really. and so but I could definitely see and I've actually interviewed him and asked him and and I said, you know, are you ignoring things outside the realm, you know, like like the paranormal aspects of it and and he nodded and like he said, you know, when I work on these books and work on these cases, you know, the spider webs just go everywhere. And he made this kind of kind of uh, gesture with his hands where he was almost like making water splashing and it just went everywhere. And he said, I'm paraphrasing right now. And he yeah. says, and what I do is I just, I just, I can't go everywhere. I need to just confine the data. And he right. sort of brought his hands back in together. And fair enough, you know, that he's, he's self-aware enough to say that. But to me, the, the really interesting stuff are those little outlying data points, those little splattering little droplets that, that he is choosing to ignore. Um, all that said, I, I do feel he's, he's contributed, uh, you know, an, and I think an one valuable of the th- amount of stuff. And I think one of the things that he has ignored is that he himself may be an abductee. And that is something that a lot of people say, especially other abduction researchers, uh, that, that he, because he had a very profound uh, UFO sighting, I believe, in the early 1960s in, in uh, Cape Cod, I think. Yeah. And, and it, what, it, what it amounted to was a very close daylight sighting. Uh, which is extremely unusual to see something like that, and and anyone who plays the role of abduction researcher will be very quick to uh, unjustifiably to jump to the conclusion that he he quite probably is an abductee. Well, when we were sitting outside at this conference with him before we drove him up to this uh, person's house, he alluded to a scar that he had on his calf, and. I said, "Oh, are you an abduct? You're an abductee," 
And he wouldn't answer directly. He just kind of changed the subject and said, you know, I've been, uh, there's a really famous author who's about to come out with a book about his abduction experiences, which turned out, I think, to be Streber. That's who he was referring to. So he kind of switched the, the topic. But I don't think he wanted to see uh, himself as being uh, an abductee himself, more that he was more of a researcher than uh, an experiencer. I think that was his uh, his focus. Yeah, yeah, and this whole thing is so strange. Here's I'm just going to read. I've wrote very few questions down, and I'm going to read one of the questions that I wrote. <laughs> uh, and here it goes. I've been interacting with a lot of people who claim the UFO contact experience, and I can state with absolute certainty these people have more synchronicities than the average person without any UFO connection. Why is that? Well, I th- I, part of it, I think, is just the nature of the experience. You know, you, when, whenever you delve into something that's basically unknown, that's when synchronicities happen. And, and I've interviewed a woman who's had a lot of abduction f- events in her life. And um, she's also, uh, because of it, she's, she same, claims to have psychic abilities. She claims to have channeling abilities. She claims That's to have, not unusual. Yeah, I agree. That's very, very normal. And, and mm-hmm. I've never heard a good answer except what she told me, which I thought was very simple. She said, once you've been opened up, you're opened right. up to everything. Yeah, that makes sense. And I just there's I just, a woman Mike on our blog who comes on who has had innumerable abduction and, and encounter experiences. She's this woman is so psychic it's scary. I had for, okay for instance five years ago I actually had a reading with her. The reading she says now here's how I work. You can't say anything. You just let me talk because what I'm doing is listening to my spirit guides as they're talking to me. So for three hours. She just talked nonstop. And I have to say, a lot of what she said happened. You know, so I know her psychic ability firsthand. I, I can't vouch for all of her UFO experiences, but she certainly speaks about them with great authority. And, she, and the ones that she talks about that really interests me is uh, being uh, among not only greys, but also uh, U.S. military people. Right. Who are uh, who are there w- uh, with the Greys in? Well, she's actually on. Uh, I think it was in a military base. In a military base in yeah. Florida, right? And she's the one. Now I remember this. This is so interesting. She uh, there was an essay that she wrote uh, about having an experience of of driving down a freeway. <coughs> so right. she, suddenly she was off the freeway. She was yeah. going through the gate. Right. Yeah. Of a, of a military base, and no one stopped her. They just sort of flagged her through. Right. Mm-hmm. And then she suddenly, and I can't remember. There was some stuff that happened in between, and the next thing she knows, she's back out on the highway. Right. The stuff that happened in between, though, is when she saw the Greys with the military people. Yes. She and her son, actually. And and I will say that I, her and I, now this is I've I, I've had so many uh, interactions over email with people, but her and I inter- interacted directly, and I and I remember asking her some questions, and she was very open, and and and, uh, and actually I would say she also sounded, you know, very troubled about this that experience. Well, I think she I think she is. I mean, she, you know, she has an implant supposedly behind her ear, similar to what Streber's got. Um, you know, and it's affected her whole life, and it's also affected her health. And she also has had these experiences for, uh, 
we haven't heard anything for a couple years, but she used to contact us and say, there is a black helicopter hovering above my house. And it got to the point of, what's going on? You know, why, why, are, you, why are you always seeing Take black helicopters? Yeah, why are you see, always seeing black helicopters above your house? She said, my neighbors are seeing them too. And uh, I haven't heard uh, anything about that in a couple of years, as I said, but that's, that's another classic. classic phenomena related to, to UFO encounters is these black helicopters. And, and some sort of like what seems like organized harassment. Right. Um, yeah. You know, people will say they, they have their phones tapped where they will say, you know, they get odd clicking noises or they hear someone else whispering in the right. background. Um, and I and I have to think that with, you know, trillions of dollars being spent on, you know, espionage, that if someone within the secret government wanted to tap a phone, they could do it without any clicks. Yeah. <laughs> so the clicks are obviously there to intimidate people as well as, uh, you know, opening mail and, and, and doing a very sloppy job of, of, of taping it back closed. Is if, is these are very common things that get reported. Now, this is so interesting. So, um, okay, where was I going here? The occult phenomenon. So uh, one um, person who claims to have profound UFO sightings, seeing aliens in his yard at night, uh, a life of extremely odd experiences, as well as as sort of an indoctrination of sorts uh, into the into an occult uh, groups. He says, and this is, I think, I'm quoting him directly. Synchronicity is the language they use to communicate. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. I always think of it as the synchronicity is the language of your, you know, your inner self, the higher self, unconscious, but the unconscious. But that's that's interesting. The language they use. Yeah. Now here, let me just jump now. They're in the book uh, Seven Secrets of Synchronicity on page uh, 120, 121. There is a story that I shared that that got put into the book, and, I'll, and I'm just going to retell it right now. I haven't talked about this much on the on this audio thing, and it was one of the very first postings I put on my blog. Uh, and oh, this, yeah, remember this, yeah. So so I was um I work outside, you know, uh, for a job. I do uh, teach camping and mountaineering for huh. an outdoor school in the West here, and spend part of my time up in Alaska. And I have sensitive skin, and I, I'm out, out in the sun so much that I require, you know, like a good sunblock. But some sunblocks will, will actually make my face itch a little bit. So, you know, I was kind of in a dilemma. Like, I, I just felt like I couldn't find the right sunblock. And, and I think it was two or three people in one day, I kind of was talking, and, they, and they, they said, oh, you know, the sunblock you need is Neutrogena 45. So two people said that, Neutrogena 45. And I was um, doing a short trip with the school, and I got back to my little hometown, and, and it was April, and I, I live up in the mountains uh, right near um, Grand Teton National Park. I live in Idaho on the, on the, on the west side of the mountains. Um, so April is still pretty cold where I live, and I went to the little health food store, and I asked if they had it, and they didn't, and I went to the little uh, locally owned drug store, and they didn't have it, and so as I was driving home, there's a great big giant grocery store, and I was going to pull in and see if they had it, and I, I literally, I, I just couldn't turn the wheel to pull into the parking lot, so I just kept on going straight, just the big giant grocery store is kind of, you know, you know, big and creepy given the, the quaint little main street that the town used to have. So I, as I'm driving home, there's people are, are putting out uh, bags of garbage on the, along the side of the road. And what it is is the annual trash cleanup, which happens once the snow melts. So uh, volunteers and Boy Scouts and locally owned businesses and such go out and, and just pick up trash along the highway. And, and, I, and I've done that too. So when I got home, I live right along the highway. I um, 
just went in the house and grabbed a handful of trash bags and, and went right back out and started picking up trash. And I decided I would go from my house to a stop sign, which is about a half a mile from my house. So I figured I'll go a half a mile, hit the stop sign, cross the street, and come back to my house. I figured that would be a mile, and that would be great. So as I'm doing this and picking up the trash, uh, it starts to rain. And then, you know, I'm, I'm soaked. So it's like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm out here, I'm wet, I'm just going to stay out here. So then it starts to snow. And in April, you get this really grim kind of wet, sleeting snow. So I just say, like, okay, I'm going to continue on and, and persevere. I'm not that far from the stop sign, so I keep on picking up trash. And when I arrive at the stop sign, and I am not exaggerating, there was a bottle of Neutrogena 45 leaning against the pole of the stop sign. It looked like someone set it there. That's a true trickster. Now, it gets stranger than this. Now, you said that the first or the second synchronicity is that it's based on emotions? The what? I'm sorry. The second secret. Oh, the second secret? Uh, yeah. Is emotions. So Awareness and then emotions. emotions the, trick, right. the one you're talking about is secret six, the trickster. But, it, but here's what was going on. In my life at that point, this would have been 2006. At that point in my life, which was only five years ago now, I was pretty stressed out, and I was pretty, uh, at that point, I realized I needed to look into some of life memories that I'd had. The life memories were, you know, I had been able to deny them, I had been able to dismiss them, but at that point, and I could no longer dismiss these life events, and I knew I had to look into this stuff. You know, I'm not even sure what that meant to look into it, which is, in essence, what I've been doing. But that event, finding the Neutrogena bottle on the side of the road, leaning against a signpost, of all things, was, I, I instantly, when I saw that thing, instantly, I, I said to myself, I have to look into these UFO life events. Oh, that's interesting. Right. So for you, it uh, it was uh, would be really related to the to the uh, second secret, emotional content, and uh, where we looked at the incident itself, it seemed like a trickster. So it's like a combination of the two. Yeah, and, and there's nothing at all about it that has anything to do with UFOs, but but I will tell you the voice well, in wait my a minute. head. You know, let me tell you something now. The, the fact that it was sunblock, look at the metaphor. What were you blocking? Memories. Yeah. And the sunblock was, when I opened the sunblock, it, it had obviously spent the winter outside. Uh-huh. And, and it, you know, gone through the, the freeze-thaw cycle, so it was no longer usable. It was uh, just this, you know, half of it was this pasty, chalky stuff, and half of it was this thin, runny, oily stuff, and they didn't mix anymore. Um, so, but see, your, your, your synchronicity also addresses clusters. You had several different mentions throughout the day of Neutrogena. You know, so yours is really pretty, pretty layered, Mike. That one, that one, I, I cannot, I, I cannot discount the profound effect that that right. had on my life. It literally, from that point on, I was walking a different path. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, we had uh, a cluster experience ourselves uh, a couple years ago, and we uh, took a trip. Uh, to Sugarloaf Key, uh, about 14 miles north of Key West. We were staying at a house that's actually owned by uh, Trisha's uh, literary agent, and he allows us to uh, stay there once in a while, uh, and I do a little work around the place. And uh, But we invited a couple friends to come along, and it, it turned out that one we were, of them was... We were working on this book. 
Where we were yeah. on this book. Uh, one of them was from Minneapolis, the other was from uh, Central Florida, and it turned out both of their names are Robert, <coughs> which is also my name. So we had three Roberts in the house, which really isn't a synchronicity, because there's a lot of Roberts in the world, it just happened to be that there were three of them there, but then it started compiling. <laughs> uh, I opened the refrigerator the, uh, the first morning after we had got there the evening before, and the next morning, open the refrigerator and making some toast, and I was looking to see uh, what kind of jam or jelly they had, and I, I pull one out, and the name of the jelly is Robert is here, and which is a very strange name for a jelly, but it's I know where it came from because uh, in the right near the entrance to uh, near Homestead near the entrance to Everglade National Park, there is a big fruit stand, and the name of it is Robert is Here. <laughs> and uh, the guy who runs it is Robert. And so obviously, somehow, they had gotten some of the jelly that he had made. So that uh, I, I held it up and showed all the Roberts that, look, Robert is here, <laughs> Robert is here. And uh, which uh, everybody understood the uh, cluster synchronicity then uh, meaningful for us. Later on the day, we decided to go out to lunch, uh, drive down to Key West. So two of the Roberts and Trish went down, uh, and we went to this uh, restaurant where we could sit outside uh, in a little plaza area, and we're eating our lunch, and a man comes in with a dog, with a golden retriever, and uh, uh, we have a golden retriever, so we're taking uh, a look at him, and uh, it was an older one. And, uh, we just he, lost our golden retriever. Yeah, th that's yeah. right. We had just lost one uh, at the time. We have another one now. And so uh, Trish got up and went over and asked the man if uh, she could pet the dog and talk to the dog. <clears throat> and then she asked, what's the dog's name? And the guy says, Robert. <laughs> so, so that was our cluster of Roberts. And in on the over, so pay attention. What was what was the lesson? You, you're, the universe is tapping you on the shoulder, in essence, saying, "Pay attention." And what were, what was the what was the lesson? Well, I think the part of the lesson I, I think is that we were working on this book at the time. We had just started our blog. This is like back in February of '09. So it was like the universe was now, you know, responding to our interest in this topic and to. You know, we were look, actively looking for stories. You know, it was just everything was starting to come together. And so uh, there was an example right there of... Uh, clusters. Uh, yeah, clusters and also the knowing, the first secret. Uh, when you're looking, they start to appear. Fascinating. Just amazing. Yeah. Go ahead and speak. Yeah, I have another story related to, uh, to Key West. Uh, we have an old friend, and he's old in a couple of ways. We've kn we've known him since oh, the nineteen eighties. <laughs> we've known him since the nineteen eighties, and he's also eighty years old. And he's somewhat he, somewhat of a believer in UFOs and psychic uh, things, and somewhat of a skeptic. He's uh, kind of an intellectual guy. Uh, he's interested, but he's also has a skeptical side too. Uh, and he lives in Key West, and one day I got a call from him, and I hadn't heard from him for at least 10 years. Uh, we used to uh, get to know him. He was involved in uh, uh, 
some archaeology in Peru, and we're back when we were doing some. Uh, uh, we were working as freelance writers. We interviewed him once, and he has some interest in UFOs as well. And so uh, we had uh, got to know him. So he called up and he said, uh, "What have you been doing? I haven't heard from you for a long time." And we said, "I said we just uh, wrote a book on synchronicity." And he said, "Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if there's going to be if I'm going to have a, a synchronicity uh, now." I've only had one or two in my life, he said. Uh, and, you know, he's uh, been on the earth a long time, and he claims he's only had a couple of synchronicities. At that moment, Trish walked into the room and reminded me that we were going to Key West in four days. Uh, and, uh, and I said, hey, we're going to be down there. Why don't we get, to, uh, why don't we get, to, get together and... Uh, uh, go to go to dinner, and he said four days. And I said the date. And he said, "Hey, that's my birthday, double synchronicity." <laughs> so, but but then it gets better. So we meet our friend, uh, and he's an eccentric character. You might have even heard of him since he has a UFO connection. His name is Jim Mosley. You know what I had I had written down on the page right here. I wrote Jim Mosley. Yeah. On the paper, so. <laughs> Yeah, he's editor of uh, Saucer Smear, a little eight-page uh, newsletter with gossip and charges. And he types and, up on a typewriter. Yeah, yep. charges. Yeah, and, I love the guy. I love the guy. Yeah. He's got a great. He's got a great outlook on this stuff. He's yeah, right. Quite the trickster, also. Yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, you know, he writes up the gossip and the charges and the counter charges <laughs> of, about people in the UFO field. And uh, so we first met him when we were working with uh, Omni Magazine, writing for that antimatter section. So we gave Jim a copy of the book. By the time we got home from the trip, there was a call from Jim telling us that he had started reading the book and he already had what he called an incredible synchronicity. <laughs> uh, so I call him back and he said, oh, another synchronicity. I was just reading your book and the author calls me. How nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went on to uh, tell me why he had called and left the message. He had been trying to get a hold of Phyllis Galdi, who is the editor of Fate magazine, because he had heard that the magazine had folded. And so he was uh, working on his new new issue. And he left a couple of messages with her on uh, several days had passed, and he hadn't heard anything from her. So he is working on the latest issue and writing about the demise of Fate magazine. He ended the, sec the section writing, the, uh, the latest an apparent last editor of fate, Phyllis Galdi, was a very nice woman. Unfortunately, we have lost track of her. At that time, the phone rings, and it's Phyllis. <laughs> and she's telling him to hold the presses, that fate was alive and well, and uh, a new issue would be coming out in, in a month. So uh, Jim just continued writing where he'd left off and added a flat. Well, you might have seen, he, he writes uh, sometimes uh, a flash. Uh, <laughs> and he wrote flash uh, and, and explained the synchronicity and went on to say that he was, about to re and he was also about to write a review of a new book on synchronicity, uh, the one Trish and I wrote, of course. And so the synchronicities were piling up for him. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, that's so strange. They have a way of doing that. And, and, uh, and it's very interesting that also he's uh, immersed in the UFO realm. Yes. Also, but also very skeptical about some aspects of UFO. Like he's very skeptical about the Roswell story. 
as as one should be you know i mean i know there's a lot of research out there and a lot of it is very compelling um but i think that there's elements within that story that you know should be uh seen skeptically and i think a lot of people are just very very i don't want to sound bitter or anything like that but they there's some doughy-eyed true believers out there that that uh, are a little too quick to believe in everything well joe mcmonigle who was a remote viewer for the government Mm -hmm. who i've met yeah, well, we 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 went to Eleuthera with him and his wife, who's also an astrologer. We we've spent a lot of time with them, and Joe feels that it didn't happen at Roswell at all. Yeah, it happened at Corona, which is a few miles from uh, there. There was another crash there, and he said that that's that was where the real one took place, and that that uh, is like the Roswell was a diversion. But of course, that's if anybody has heard anything about uh, UFO. Phenomena crashes, they always uh, focus right in on Roswell. And oftentimes the most dramatic ones, the most well-known ones, turn out to be the ones that aren't real. Yeah. That's another trickster element. Yeah, that's often what I think of. What I, I, I think the most, uh, the, the best job in the Pentagon would be the guy in the basement who is in charge <laughs> of, of, like, messing with the UFO community. <laughs> Because yeah. all it would take is like, oh, you know, let's just type up a piece of paper. You know, uh, I've been practicing and I've got, you know, Harry Truman's signature down perfectly. And I'll take this old pen from 1946 and I'm going to, you know, sign his name at the bottom of this document and, and then just kind of let it re- get released out there and just see what happens. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, so I have this sense that there's like an orchestrated uh, effort to just rock the boat of the of the yeah UFO it's community. a disinforma- disinformation uh, and uh, a diversion to lead you away from the place to look possibly exactly exactly you know by by creating something so tantalizing right. that you have to you know go down some some false alley yeah this effort has uh, allowed the whole UFO phenomena to be continue to be re- uh, ridiculed by the mainstream media and mainstream science, of course, as well. Uh, you know, it's 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 a topic that uh, it's causes people to laugh, uh, to make uh, cynical comments about, and also for people who take it seriously, especially scientists, they can lose their credibility or their lives. Look at John Mack. <laughs> yeah, or their funding. Or the right. funding, right, yeah. Um, and that could be intentional. Yeah. Uh, I have written, uh, this, this one of the, here's one of the questions I have here. Can you define the term shaman and what it might mean in today's society? That's yours. <laughs> Go for it, Rob. <laughs> uh, I'm laughing because Rob, Rob is really the shaman expert in the family. <laughs> He's writing a book called Extreme Dream that involves a shaman. Oh, oh, then great. I, and I wrote this down, not really knowing why I wrote it down. It was oh, kind of irrelevant, in essence, to the, to the rest of the, the questions, but, but it, here it is on my page. Well, a shaman is uh, a healer, a psychic, uh, somebody who can, uh, in traditional uh, Native uh, societies, he's, the, uh, he's the, the cohesive bond to the community. Uh, and when he became... From the outsider, the Westerners called him the witch doctor uh, and belittled him, but he was at the, at the heart of the society, uh, the culture, and uh, they did things like bring uh, rain when there was uh, a need for rain. They have the, uh, 
uh, mythical abilities, real or not, to uh, uh, change shapes, shapeshifters, uh, and they are uh, very important uh, aspect in traditional society. And now it's uh, in the last uh, twenty twenty five years. There's uh, the the uh, shamanism has moved into the into the Western uh, society. There's been a growing interest in uh, pursuing shamanism. I I was uh, involved with a. A uh, man who has written a number of books and been involved in shamanism, uh, Alberto Viola of the uh, Four Winds Society. I went with him on a journey uh, in the uh, southwest to Canyon de Shea, where we spent four, four days hiking through the canyon, and some uh, very unusual things uh, happened for a lot of people on that trip. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, the spirits were visible. I mean, there uh, there was a lot of uh, unusual things happening, and uh, for me, it culminated in a very unusual experience. That, uh, I I was just talking about. I, I teach a meditation class, uh, uh, a six week course. I've done this uh, five or six times, and I was just talking uh, Monday uh, during my. Uh, class, uh, we take little breaks, and I, I talk a bit about uh, meditation, about some of my experiences. And I was talking about uh, this trip uh, through Canyon Duchesne, this four-day trip, and that culminated in when we're climbing out of the canyon. Uh, I was near the front, and the the bus was up on the uh, the rim road, and I saw this flat boulder, and I decided I want one more chance to meditate, uh, get into a meditative state. So I climbed up there, and I reached this state very quickly where in uh, yoga philosophy it would be called samadhi, S-A-M-A-D-H-I, where it's basically, it's like my consciousness was flowing across, across the canyon. And I was a part of the whole canyon, a part of the the red walls of the canyon, a part of the plants, a part of the whole environment. And I lost completely lost track of time. And I didn't know how long I was there, but eventually I started hearing my name called and uh, became aware of this this voice. I didn't know whether it was in my head or outside. And then it became clear, and I started coming back my awareness of my body and I realized that the voice was Alberto and he was standing up at the rim yelling at me he'd been yelling at me for several minutes uh, and everybody was in the bus and they were they were ready to leave and so that brought me out of this state and uh, what I told the the class Monday night was that uh, what was uh, a synchronicity for me was that a couple years ago, I came across a book about uh, um, yoga philosophy and uh, uh, meditation and, and about this concept of samadhi. And uh, it, uh, what caught my attention, it was written by Alberto Viotto, 
and then uh, who was the man who had been yelling at me while I was in Samadhi. And so uh, then I, I read what he had written about Samadhi. So that was uh, kind of all, all came together and w with, that, with that experience for me. And was it the exact same person or just someone with the same name? No, no it, it, it was Alberto. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, great. In fact, the, uh, the book uh, is called Patanjali's Sutras. It's a, uh, which was written like 2,200 years ago, and it was his interpretation, the sutras, Nikos, Patanjali, uh, Yoga, and Shaman. Uh, amazing. I just looked at the clock here. We've been going at it for one hour and 23 minutes. So it says one, two, three, uh, which, <laughs> which is my little like number that seems to be uh, pestering me. And I just have a few more questions. Now, one of them, do you feel that synchronicities have been increasing recently? Yes. Yeah. There's a, certainly a lot larger awareness of synchronicity. We do Google uh, alerts on the word synchronicity, and there are so many things. That the, the term has really reached a mass consciousness. A lot of people don't know what it means, and uh, especially journalists, they often uh, confuse the term with synchronous, you know, like, let's synchronize our watches, uh, and it's they're not looking at the synchronicity in terms of outside of cause and effect, but more in a, something in alignment. But anyhow, but they're using that term synchronicity. It just seems to be uh, the, just a greater, whether they understand or not, just a greater awareness of the term. And, and Trish, in the background, when I said that, you just, when I asked if synchronicities have been increasing, you said yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm starting to hear from people that you know, I may have known like 25 years ago who always knew I was weird, but now they're getting weird. You know what I mean? It's like, like the other day, th there was a woman I knew in college named Judy Senikowski. She's now a photographer in New York. And she lived for 35 years off and on with this guy named Hank. And Hank died about three years ago. He was also a photographer. So one day out of the blue, she writes me this, this story. She said, Trish, do you think Hank's trying to communicate with me? And the story was so powerful that it was one of the ones, early ones we used in the synchronicity in the other side. And so I just sent her a copy of the book since we had used her particular story. And so I got an email back from her and she says, listen, my friend Kathy lost her husband a few years ago. And I was telling her about your book and about the communication with Hank, the spirit communication. And she's got, she's, she thinks her dead husband is communicating with her in dreams. Well, that's one of the most common ways that spirits do communicate with people. And she said, do, do you think her husband's talking to her? And I said, absolutely. I said, Judy, tell her to buy the book. <laughs> so, you know, it's like it, it, there's just a greater, I, I think part of what's happening is that, for lack of a better word, the veil is lifting. That is a funny little metaphor, but I agree completely. You know, it seems like something is getting amped up. And I have been doing this research mostly involving, you know, the UFO phenomenon. But I, one of the questions I ask is, you know, like, do you have synchronicities? And and uh, I cannot tell you how many people seem right. to point to about 2006 um, and say that, you know, that's kind of when it started to happen, 2006, 2007. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For reasons I don't know, and and maybe and obviously that exactly aligns with my own set of experiences. So you know I'm I'm predisposed to see that pattern. Let's say, um, mm. so that you know it's partially that, but I do sense that people it's it's becoming, uh, you know, something globally in our society right. is changing. Yeah, it it 
it seems that, the, you know, I don't want to peg anything to 2012, but, I mean, the Mayan calendar does end. There's, it's the end of the 26,000-year cycle. That doesn't mean the world's going to end, but I think one of the things that it means is that the paradigm is shifting. You know, and I think that's why more and more people are having these kinds of experiences. And you talk to UFO abductees, you know, the people who are, you know, have profound uh, abduction experiences, you know, on and on throughout their lives. And they will, you know, oftentimes tell you they'll have a narrative all set up, you know, that, that you know, there, yes, there is a paradigm shift. And, mm-hmm. and, and these uh, alien entities, whatever they might be, are playing a role. And then the people who are, who are the abductees are also going to play a role. And, and in a way, that's why I asked the question about the, the um, shaman, is because I, you know this is something that I feel that we we collectively as a society are are, are adrift, and we need the role of the shaman. And okay. and the shaman, I mean, it's you know somebody in a little mud hut at the edge of the suburbs isn't going to cut it anymore. You know that you just go to and ask a question that may have worked beautifully in a in a different village setting, um, but now it seems like. Uh, I will quite. I will say, you know, people who publish books like the Seven Secrets of Synchronicity are, in essence, playing the role of the shaman. But also, what shamanism is about is direct experience of something greater than our everyday world, uh, everyday life, uh, mystical experiences, rather than listening to a priest, a minister, tell us about the other world, other realities, and being a uh, informant, a, a guide. People now with the sh- shamanism, there there is no priest that, with the, the shaman because you become a shaman yourself. You <clears throat> experience, you have the experience. It's not about t- uh, controlling people and directing people, but giving that message, giving that teaching, so they can become the experiencer as well. Mm-hmm. And and you've just given multiple examples of people who've read your book and said, you know, like, oh, I got, you know, a few pages in and I had my own ex- right. synchronous experience. Exactly. So, so right. you know, the, maybe the definition of shaman needs to be revised or something or, you know, I just I just feel that, that our society is in need of, of people to, to play the role of shaman. And I don't think anyone sort of wakes up in the morning and says, now I'm going to be a shaman. I think it sort of right. happens more organically. Um, yeah. and, and this book is very interesting. It, it seems to match this. Uh, have you ever heard of the term synchromistic? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, 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 a blog and, uh, and the, there's a uh, called Synchromysticism and also a blog uh, website, Reality Sandwich. They uh, refer to synchronicity and off, often use that term synchromysticism as well. Which I think is wonderful. I think it's a, it's a very lively, playful term. And there's a fellow named Jake Kotze, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with him at all. No, not yeah. A young guy lives in Canada, and mm-hmm. he's been writing and talking, and he's got a very, very delightful, playful way he looks at these things, and he's looking at synchronicities that appear in pop culture. And I did an interview with him that was just great, and he's got such a a, a sort of sparkling eye for the for the odd little things that are going on in pop, pop culture, and mm-hmm. uh, and I give him a ton of credit, and and I think he. Yeah, he coined the term synchromistic, which is a great term. It's just uh, got the got a nice, tidy little ring. It's playful, and and you you immediately can wrap your mind around it. Yeah. Um. Here's my final question. So, in a way, these these experiences, these synchronistic experiences, can be so deeply personal, 
And sometimes they can be deeply personal in a way that the little spider webs and the little threads that, that are connecting can only be interpreted by the one experiencing it. For instance, it would take an hour for someone to share a synchronicity uh, because to explain all the little nuances and who was involved and what the meaning might be, it might lose its power in a way by, by sharing that. Does that make sense? I th- a lot of times I've heard synchronicity, detailed synchronicities that have really affected people's lives. <clears throat> and for them, it's very important. But they're not always universal synchronicities because if I'm listening to it, I think, well, this is interesting, but it doesn't, isn't that meaningful for me? Uh, and there's a lot of detail here, and uh, it's interesting, but not not important to me, but to that person, it's really a, a life-changing event. And so uh, you can tell by the way they talk about the experience, the emotional level, how important it is. And even though it, it may seem like to an outsider, it's kind of a humdrum synchronicity, not that, not that great. It is great to them. But then you have, you have synchros like what uh, teapots happen. Have you ever gone to his blog? Yes, and I've communicated with him a little bit back and forth. Uh, He's a great through, guy. Know, yeah. Um, his his teapot synchronicity. Anybody can see that. That's that's what I consider a universal. You know, you you can tell the story and everybody gets it, especially when you see the pictures. He's one of the people like Nicholas Carroll who comes to our blog, who through synchronicity got them out of the uh, strong belief in atheism into. Uh, being believing something more spiritual, something greater in life uh, existing because of the uh, the profound uh, experiences they've had through synchronicity. Yeah, fascinating. Hey, um, let's just go through. You have three books out of the Seven Secrets of Synchronicity, which has been sort of the 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 meat of this interview. But you also have the Synchronistical Journey, or excuse me, the Synchronistic. Let me start. It's over a here. Synchronicity Journal. Yes. Journal. Yeah, yeah right. and then there's synchronicity on the other side, which is the new book. Yeah, the journal is something that uh, allows people to uh, read a little bit about synchronicity and the seven secrets, but gives them a lot of space to just jot down their own synchronicities. Uh, it's just a journal. And then synchronicity and the other side is? That's dealing... Uh, Meaningful with, connections with the afterlife, spirit communication. Right. Like that story I just told about Judy and her, her friend Hank. And then, yeah, and in the show notes, I'll put a link to your, to your daily blog. And just go ahead and describe the process of that. Well, we uh, create some ourselves, and we also encourage people to send us uh, their stories. Uh, since our uh, synchronous in the other side just came out, we decided, uh, and we got a box of free books, we decided that we would pass some of them out to people who had the uh, five best synchronicities. So for a couple of weeks, we just collected synchronicities from people with the offer of the, a free uh, a copy of the new book. And uh, so we got about a dozen or so, and we, in the last uh, five days, we've just been putting up the best ones, and there's been some good ones. 
I, I love that site, and I visit it every day. And sometimes they 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 really hit home. I, I like yeah. it a lot. And it's 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 the essays are like any blog. It's they're sh- they're short. You know, they're not long long. What would be like article length things? They're just yeah. Uh, I think that's the key with blogs is not to go too long. I think you lose some interest if you carry on for you know a thousand a, you know a couple of thousand words on your posts. I think they need to be around five hundred words or so. Yeah, probably five hundred to a thousand. It depends. Yeah. Depends on the story. So you, you want know, so we because we do them in two parts. You know, if we run run into something that's lengthy, like a number of years ago, we did a an article for Fate magazine on a place called Chiloé in Chile, where we went on our honeymoon, and it's a place where they believe in mermaids, and it's just a real ghost ship. Ghost ships. Caliuche. Yeah. Caliuche. Yeah. That one we divided into three different posts. So it just depends on the story. Yeah. So here, let me share uh, a story that that happened the very first time I visited your blog, and this actually got written up on your on the blog. Um, I went there, you know, surfing the the internet the way it is. I just stumbled on your site. Oh, here's a site called Synchronicities. I'm fascinated by synchronicities. The story there was it was I think this would have been uh, October, maybe first or second of or 2009, mm-hmm. and the story was called the Owl and the Money Clip. Oh right, yeah, I remember that one. So, uh, and it was posted by a fellow <laughs> named Jim, who's also from Idaho. Yeah, and Jim. and the story was amazing. You know, this guy like the owl flies over, drops a money clip. Uh, it has his initials <laughs> on it. Uh, right. Um, and he had been having all kinds of money issues, and so yeah. uh, and I was fascinated. So I was going to leave a comment. So I scrolled down and I was reading the other comments, and one of the comments was from a woman. Her name is Stacy, and she said, "Oh, I was once in a a barn." It was a meadow. I was oh, in a meadow, meadow surrounded by 50 owls. It was the most yeah. mystical experience of my life. And I said, oh, I've got to talk to this person. Now, I haven't talked about it yet, but I, I've had a lot of owl experiences, and they're very curious, and they're uh, and I have to pay attention to them because they seem out of the norm. So I immediately leave a message for this woman, Stacy, being what it is today. You know, she had a, she had her own blog, and so I just click on her little face. I went right to her blog. I left a message. And I said, um, wow, 50 owls, I want to hear that story. And then she replies back. She said, you know, I had actually written that story up as a creative uh, writing uh, exercise, and I just posted it on my blog. So I read the essay. It was very interesting. It was very mystical. And she talked about being with a friend of hers named Christian and and uh, seeing all these owls. And then I comment to her. I said, wow, that was a really interesting story. And then she just offhandedly replies back. This is all goes back and forth through email exchange. And then she emails back and she said, oh, just so you know, when Christian and I were driving home that night after seeing the owls, we saw a UFO. Uh. And I was like, what? And so I email back. I'm like, you're kidding. Do you know what my blog is about? My blog is about UFOs, synchronicities, and owls. Uh. And then she says, you know who you need to talk to? You need to talk to my friend Marla. She's a psychic, and she's tapped oh, in. Marla Freeze. And it was Marla Freeze. And then, uh-huh. so this would have been a Saturday, October 3rd, 2009. Hmm. And she, now, I had never met Stacy. I didn't know where she lived. I didn't know anything about her. But she did not know. But on Sunday, October 4th, 2009, I had a, a psychic appointment with Marla Freeze. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So you you had already made that appointment before? I had she... made that appointment months before. Oh, oh. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. 
so that and and that was just you know it had owls it had ufos it had synchronicities it had psychics <laughs> um you know to tell that story properly is like and then there's also all kinds of things with the story that she wrote about this fellow named christian and i had my own owl sightings that almost paralleled emotionally the same emotion she was trying to tap into um, with a sighting that I had, an owl sighting with a young woman named Kristen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, just very, very, very interesting. Anyway, yeah, the great. Okay. Oh, this has been awesome. Um, this has been fun. Now, Mike, we're going to have to all get together for a beer someday. And <laughs> if you ever come to Idaho, yeah. uh, then you have something in Florida that, that uh, we do not have, which I'm a little bit intimidated by. It's called humidity. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially this time of year. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if, what you know about where I live, but, uh, you know, like in summer, what we do when the weather, when we have to deal with the weather in the summer, we put on a sweater. Wow. <laughs> Not here. Yeah, uh, I, might be, I think it's getting up to about 74 degrees today. So, um, Are you very far from Sun Valley? Uh, actually, not too far. A few hours drive. Yeah, that's where Jim Bansholzer lives. Uh, and he's the fellow who wrote The Owl and the Money Clip. Right. right, with Money Clip, yeah. And we've, yeah. In, in, uh, not to like drag this on, but uh, he sent me a, a, an owl story that singularly proved to be the most compulsive, crazy onslaught of weird experiences I've ever had. And it all started from his owl story. And yeah. it was tapped into, uh, oh, I just, it, so that one I won't even get into here because it would take, you know, hours to tell it correctly. But uh, yeah, he's. He's told us some good synchronicities. Uh, we haven't heard much from him recently, but uh, boy, he had some unusual ones, like breaking down three times in yeah. the vehicles, different vehicles at the same spot on our road. Yeah, yeah, and he's also he's had a lot of owl stories. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh. interesting. Okay, great talking well, to you. This has been fun. Good, good. This has been great. Uh, I would look forward to doing it any time. Well, I hope the book arrives. If it doesn't, let me know, and I'll send you one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I, I loved the first one, and uh, and I will. I will. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading the second. Okay. Okay. Very good. Thank very you so much. Fun. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Oh, that was awesome. I uh, I just want to add a few extra things here, and I'll do this right now. They spoke about hanging out with Bud Hopkins. They shared a story of traveling in Florida with Bud Hopkins to visit someone who was an abductee or who claimed experiences that might match the the classic abduction scenario. Uh, That came out of the blue. I had no idea that they were friends with Bud Hopkins and had spent time, uh, in essence, helping him do research. Uh, The funny thing is, uh, over a year ago, I did an interview with a fellow named Gibbs Williams. He wrote a book titled Demystifying Meaningful Coincidences, and the subtitle is Synchronicities, The Evolving Self, The Personal Unconscious, and The Creative Process. And I have not read this book. He is quite the academic, and uh, it's a great big thick book, and he wrote it as an academic. But uh, when I did the interview, once again, I'm interviewing an author who wrote a book about synchronicity, And out of the blue, he mentions Bud Hopkins. Now, when he mentioned Bud Hopkins in that interview, this fellow Gibbs said that he worked with Bud Hopkins and he did this psychological assessment for his clients. 
basically giving them a, a few tests, a battery of tests, to try to figure out if they had any underlying psychological pathology. Uh, the answer that came up was no, they didn't. They were claiming something profoundly strange, that they had been abducted by aliens, as far as that was the way the narrative was, was laying out. And uh, he concluded that no, they did not have any underlying mental illness. Uh, so here we go. Two authors, well, two sets of authors, let's put it that way, both writing books about synchronicities, both having worked with Bud Hopkins. Uh, to me, that was very curious. I hope you enjoyed the interview. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.